Dear Maga, we have some bad news. No, not that he lost. Not that your little coup attempt failed, and its planners and the attackers are going to jail. No, the really bad news is why Trump told you he lost. Why he set it up way before the 2020 election. It wasn't voter fraud, but it was fraud. Trump told you the election was stolen to rip you off, to sucker you, to take your hard-earned money and shovel it into his pockets. He spent it on himself, not to take back the White House. It was the biggest scam in political history. Every dollar you sent him paid to keep his shaky business empire and lavish lifestyle going. It was a sucker's game all along. And you know who the sucker is? It's you. <laughs> they are correct. That Lincoln Project. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stop giving me. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in still sweltering L.A. Also heard in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites, blanketing. Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. We n- No blankets needed here, I'm uh, <laughs> sorry to say. The good news is, by the next time you hear my voice on the next Bradcast, I think our long... Uh, heat wave nightmare will be over at least here in Southern California, thanks to a hurricane. Yeah, it's a weird, very weird set of uh, weather circumstances that we're going to have here in California. But hey, I, I really do hope that the heat wave ends now. So yes, we are hours away from the uh, the cooling commencing. Uh, until then, we are still schwitzing up here in our second floor studio. Uh, enjoy the ride. I will tell you what, that was at the top of the show. Uh, that was the Lincoln Project's latest ad. Uh, it's made up of a Lincoln Project's made up of a bunch of never Trump Republicans. And boy, howdy, if Democrats ever learn to fight like Republicans do, maybe we would not be in all the messes that we are currently in. Uh, and, and Trump is apparently furious about that ad. 
or he's pretending to be because he doesn't like all the attention now focused on the millions of dollars that he scammed out of his own supporters pretending to use all that money to fight back against the stolen election, which was not stolen, when the money, in fact, appears to be going to him and to his pockets and to his family. Instead, there was a story out recently that Melania's stylist was paid $60,000 from that Save America PAC money, which was supposed to go to contesting the election, etc. And... As we reported yesterday, the federal grand jury in D.C. that is looking into the January 6th insurrection has reportedly now expanded their probe to look at that PAC, Trump's Save America PAC scam, which appears to be just another fraudulent grift from the world's greatest fraudulent grifter, Donald J. Trump. But yeah, apparently he's really upset about that Lincoln Project ad. No, poor baby. I know. Very sad. Uh, because apparently they are now running that on Fox News. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. And uh, so it elicited first this response from Trump on his fake Twitter website. Uh, quote, the perverts and lowlifes of the Lincoln Project are back on where else? Fox News. I thought they ran away to the asylum after their last catastrophic campaign with charges made against them that were big time sleaze and me getting many millions more votes in 2020 than I got in 2016. The Paul Ryan run Fox, he misspells Ryan, and apparently thinks Paul Ryan is now running Fox News. Uh, the Paul Ryan run Fox only has high standards for Trump ads, but not for anyone else. The perverts, perverts, should not be allowed to, quote, false advertise. <laughs> and Fox News should not allow it to happen. See you all in court. Yes, he's going to sue them. Cool. Lincoln Project's co-founder, Rick Wilson, the uh, longtime Republican and now longtime anti-Trump Republican, called out Trump's uh, legal bluff uh, in response and had a really, really good time doing it. So, Desi, I hope you have this uh, properly bleeped. <laughs> Me too. Here you go. Hey, folks. Wanted to say hi really quickly and to just give Donald Trump a message. Since you threatened to sue the Lincoln Project this morning, go for it. Go for it, bitch. Come <laughs> at me. I can't wait. We're we're delighted by the thought that you would try to sue us, Donald. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I double dog dare you. You know, when we put up the billboards in Times Square of Jared and Ivanka during the COVID crisis at the end of the 2020 campaign, we received this letter from Mark Kasowitz, Donald Trump's attorney, and it was this complete, you know, blustering show. Oh, we will certainly sue you. We read it in the Bane voice, right? You're not going to sue anybody, Donald. You're not going to do shit. You're not going to do a goddamn thing. You are weak. You are impotent. You are flabby. You are sitting there in the bridal suite at Mar-a-Lago or in the bridal suite at Bedminster, grinding your gears, wondering why that the Lincoln Project, no matter how many times you tried to kill us, keeps coming at you. You know why? We're here in this fight for the long haul because you are a threat to democracy. You are a threat to America. You are a threat to the republic. You are a threat to the Constitution. You are a thief of classified documents. You are a traitor to this country. You've tried to overthrow this government and the system of our, uh, of our peaceful transition of power. And f*** you. We're here. You're not. We will keep kicking your ass every single day. So if you want to try to sue us, Donald, go for it. Throw down. Let's go. 
we can't wait. You won't do it because you are, in fact, as I said previously, completely impotent. Just ask Melania. Anyway, <laughs> folks, other than that, it's a great day for America. Steve Bannon is in the, looking at the inside of a jail cell once again. Donald Trump is raging in Mar. Go f*** yourself or Bedminster or wherever he is today. And uh, it's a good day to be in the fight. Talk to you soon. <laughs> So you see what I mean about if only Democrats learned a thing or two about how to fight uh, back uh, yes. from those guys. It would be know. a good thing to change the tactics so that Democrats turn toward prosecuting Republicans rather than apologizing for being Democrats. All I, w all I know is that uh, Rick Wilson there is absolutely right. Donald Trump does not want to sue them over that ad because that opens up discovery into mm -hmm. Donald Trump's Save America PAC scam. So, yeah, I, I think Rick Wilson is right. No lawsuit there. Uh, anyway, we'll be joined momentarily by the great Dahlia Lithwick of Slate on the new legal motion filed by the DOJ in the case concerning the thousands of stolen documents, many of them highly sensitive classified documents stolen by Donald Trump and stored at his Mar-a-Lago country club. Uh, that's the actual name of it, as opposed to what Rick Wilson said there that I can't uh, say on FCC <laughs> air. Uh, and also we will discuss uh, both what to do about our so-called Trump judge problem in this country and about her new book, Lady Justice, Women, the Law and the Battle to Save America. Oh, oh, is there a battle to save America? Who knew? Uh, but, of course, threatening to file lawsuits is something that uh, Trump has been doing for years. He rarely actually files them, but when he does, he almost always loses. Uh, and, and that appears to be the case again today, even though he has packed the federal judicial system with his own corrupt judges. A federal judge in Florida has dismissed Donald Trump's lawsuit against 2016 Democratic rival Hillary Clinton and former top FBI officials rejecting the former president's claims that they and others acted in concert to concoct the Russian investigation that shadowed much of Trump's failed administration. Remember, he filed this lawsuit earlier this year suing them, uh, claiming it was all a huge scam to somehow cripple Donald Trump's administration. Well, U.S. District Judge Donald Middlebrooks said in a sharply worded ruling on Thursday that Trump's lawsuit, filed back in March, contained, quote, glaring structural deficiencies and that many of the, quote, characterizations of events are implausible. Well, that's embarrassing, uh, at least for those who have the capacity, the capacity to, to still feel embarrassed. embarrassment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Judge Middlebrooks of the Southern District of Florida dismissed the idea that Trump had sued to correct an actual legal harm, saying that, quote, instead he is seeking to flaunt a 200-page political, political manifesto outlining his grievances against those that have opposed him, and this court is not the appropriate forum. Ouch. The judge found that Trump and his attorneys might be eligible for judicial sanctions Ooh. as a punishment for filing this lawsuit, which he described as, quote, inadequate in nearly every respect. Just like Donald Trump. Anyway, the lawsuit <laughs> had uh, named defendants uh, such as Hillary Clinton and some of her top advisors, as well as former FBI director James Comey, other FBI officials involved in the investigation, 
into whether Trump's 2016 presidential campaign had coordinated with Russia to sway the outcome of the election. There were other uh, defendants as well. They were all thrown into this uh, into this thing. But none of the claims, the judge wrote, supported Trump's claim that there was a conspiracy against him. Middlebrooks wrote, quote, what the amended complaint lacks in substance and legal support, it seeks to substitute with length, hyperbole and the settling of scores and grievances. Yeah, that sounds like Donald Trump. Yeah, it does. That's about right. A uh, 2019 Justice Department Inspector General report, by the way, that was Trump's Justice Department, did not find any evidence that the Bureau's leaders were motivated by political bias in opening the probe and said the inquiry was started for a legitimate purpose. A separate investigation by Special Counsel Robert Mueller produced criminal charges against nearly three dozen people and entities and found pervasive Russian interference in the election. Uh, you got that, by the way, for those who are out there who have been conned into thinking that, oh, they didn't find anything. Not Say it only again. that, well, they, they uh, brought charges against dozens of people and found pervasive Russian interference in the 2016 election. Yes, it actually happened. No, it's not Russia, Russia, Russia. It's not Russia Gate. It's not a hoax. It's not a fraud. It is is actually quite real. Now, Judge Middlebrooks, in this case, who dismissed this case and has uh, threatened sanctions, uh, he's a Bill Clinton appointee, unfortunately for Donald Trump, I guess. But Alina Haba, a lawyer for Trump, said Friday that Trump would appeal the dismissal. So, yeah, maybe he'll find some of his own corrupt Trump judges at a higher court that will do his bidding. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, in fact, I believe that this would be appealed to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals uh, in Florida, where Trump has seated six federal judges on the majority on that appellate court. So he could have luck, depending on how corrupt they are. Um, which is also, by the way, where the DOJ Mar-a-Lago documents case would go next on appeal as well, which is one of the reasons why this is so uh, tricky for the Department of Justice to figure out how to proceed. Um, it's clear that they got a really terrible judgment from uh, of the uh, Trump judge Eileen Cannon, but if they challenge it, if they appeal it to the 11th Circuit Court, well, the 11th Circuit Court could either find in favor of Cannon or they could just sit on it for months, weeks, months, years if they wanted to. So speaking of that, let's take a quick break here. We will get caught up with the latest from the DOJ's uh, filing on Thursday in that case. And then Dahlia Lithwick on what we can and should do about this whole Trump judge thing this problem, this nightmare that will be vexing uh, this nation and its legal system for years to come now that it has poisoned our federal judiciary. And by the way, how women saved us in no small part throughout the Trump regime, according to Dahlia's brand new book. That's all ahead today. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to The Bradcast. <laughs> You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported. Thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate.
One thing leads to another. Yes, it does. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. On Thursday, the Justice Department made clear that they are preparing to appeal Trump-appointed federal judge Eileen Cannon's unprecedented decision granting the appointment of an, of an independent arbiter, a special master to review records seized in a criminal investigation by the FBI from former President Donald Trump's Florida home. They haven't yet appealed to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, but they made clear that they intend to, at least unless Judge Cannon is able to modify what the department describes in no uncertain terms as an utterly unworkable order as currently written. Citing national security concerns and other factors, the department also asked Judge Cannon to put on hold her directive prohibiting it from using the seized classified records for investigative purposes while it contests her ruling. Without a stay, department lawyers uh, wrote in their motion on Thursday, the government and public also will suffer irreparable harm from the undue delay to the criminal investigation. The 21-page Justice Department filing lays bare the government's concerns about the impact that it believes will be caused by the judge's order on Monday, which temporarily halted core aspects of its criminal investigation and its continued objections to the planned appointment of a special master to conduct an independent review of the records that were taken from Mar-a-Lago. I should say the stolen records that were taken by the FBI from Mar-a-Lago. When Cannon, in her frankly bizarre, certainly unprecedented order this past Monday, halted the DOJ use of all seized documents in their criminal probe, while allowing the intelligence community to continue their critical damage assessment of what amounts to a leak, really, of more than 1,000 pages of highly classified national security documents, well, she placed both the department and the intelligence community in an untenable situation where neither can proceed with their critical work. That's how bad this ruling was from this Trump judge. In an affidavit accompanying the DOJ's filing on Thursday, Alan Kohler Jr., the assistant director of the FBI's counterintelligence division, wrote that the intelligence community's assessment of the classified material was, quote, inextricably linked with the criminal investigation. Department lawyers wrote that, quote, uncertainty regarding the bounds of the court's order and its implications for the activities of the FBI has caused the intelligence community, in consultation with DOJ, to pause temporarily this critically important work. The government and the public, the department added, are irreparably harmed when a criminal investigation of matters involving risks to national security is frozen or delayed. So Judge Cannon said you got to stop the uh, the criminal investigation for the moment until a special master reviews these documents. But you can go ahead with the damage assessment in the intelligence community. Well, as it turns out, you can't because you can't. The intelligence community can't look at this stuff without working with the DOJ. Funny how that works. Kind of a little bit of a trap there, she said. Apparently, because everything has stopped. In her ruling, Cannon said she planned to appoint a special master to sift through the more than 11,000 documents and 1,800 other items 
that the FBI seized during the federal court-authorized search last month of Mar-a-Lago. The special master would also be authorized to identify and set aside any materials potentially protected by attorney-client or executive privilege, or that were of a clearly personal nature. The department did not contest appointing a special master to sift through documents and photographs that are not marked as classified, nor did it challenge Judge Cannon's order preventing investigators from working with those files until they were cleared by the special master. Uh, although they they did say they disagreed with that part of her decision. Instead, prosecutors asked Judge Cannon to grant them immediate access only to the classified material, arguing that her ruling had been based on concerns about Trump's personal materials, including his medical and financial records that were swept up in the search. The DOJ said the classification markings establish on the face of the documents that they are government uh, records. They are not plaintiff's personal records. Prosecutors added that Trump has no right to have classified government documents returned to him. And there is no plausible claim that any are subject to attorney client privilege. There's also no plausible claim that any of these documents are subject to executive privilege since a Trump never officially asserted executive privilege and b even if he did he is not the executive kind of an important point joe biden is the executive and so trump has only the right to ask president biden to grant such a privilege which trump has not done either thus asking a special master to do so giving a special master a power that actually belongs to a president is already absurd on its face, but that's the kind of ruling that this Trump judge appointed in the final days of the Trump administration after, by the way, after he had already lost the 2020 election. Uh, this is what the DOJ is now forced to try to sort out. The department has given Judge Cannon until next Thursday to stay her order to reconsider those few pieces of her ruling that would allow all of the processes to move forward equitably from the DOJ for Trump and for the American people before the department officially files an appeal to the full ruling with the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. And for her part, Judge Cannon has now asked for Team Trump's response to the DOJ's motion before she responds. If it all sounds like a mess, it's because it is. Uh, but it underscores the mess that has been made for our judicial system thanks to its capture by Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump and, yes, the Federalist Society's year-long project to do exactly that. Which is where my next guest comes in, suggesting that the solution to all of this is less a legal one than really a structural one. One that is now clearly desperately needed. We desperately need reform of the federal judiciary. The great Dahlia Lithwick returns to the broadcast next to discuss all of that and much more, including her new book called Lady Justice. That's straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman.
Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. When you're with me, I'm smiling. True, true. Give me all your love. The author of the new book, Lady Justice, our friend Dia Lithwick, will join us momentarily. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman of bradblog.com with you here. So over the past week, legal experts have been trying to parse the unprecedented ruling by Trump-appointed federal district court judge Eileen Cannon uh, and her bizarre ruling on behalf of Team Trump, which essentially stopped the DOJ's criminal investigation of the theft of thousands of documents, many of them highly classified, by Donald Trump, who appears to have stolen them from the White House and has been storing them, not particularly securely, more than 10,000 pages of them at his Mar-a-Lago club in Florida, unlawfully, in apparent violation of the Espionage Act, the Presidential Records Act, and other federal statutes, which a federal magistrate judge found probable cause to believe Trump violated before approving an FBI search warrant to seize those documents from Trump's Florida home in early August. But efforts to continue its criminal investigation came to a screeching halt this past Monday when Judge Cannon ordered a special master to be named to review the documents in question to determine if any of them were taken in violation of attorney-client privilege or executive privilege, which, as a former president, Donald Trump cannot even claim anymore, even if he wanted to, which, by the way, he has not. Judge Cannon allowed the intelligence community's damage assessment to move forward, however, even while temporarily halting the DOJ's use of the documents in their criminal probe. But now the DOJ has made clear in a Thursday filing that the assessment of damage to national security cannot move forward without the cooperation of the DOJ which has been barred from using the documents in its work. Yes, it is all a very serious mess, thanks to Judge Cannon. On Thursday, the DOJ offered a compromise of sorts, uh, basically saying, let us work with only the documents marked as classified, which can't possibly be protected by attorney-client or executive privilege, while the special master reviews all of the other documents and items seized from Mar-a-Lago. If not, they vowed they will appeal the entire order to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals on Thursday. Yes, a mess indeed. Writing before all of this, before the DOJ's latest motion in any event, latest motion or offer or threat, depending on how you see it this week, Dahlia Lithwick writes at, at uh, Slate.com, along with our other very good friend, legal journalist Mark Joseph Stern, 
Legal analysts lit up social media on Monday in response to the broad and potentially devastating order by Judge Eileen M. Cannon, a Donald Trump appointee to the Southern District of Florida, temporarily halting the criminal investigation of the former president and his alleged pilfering of classified documents. One analyst after another meticulously detailed the failings of Cannon's reasoning. It was, quote, untethered to the law, quote, a political conclusion in search of a legal rationale, quote, deeply problematic, quote, laughably bad. They write, it's possible to agree with every one of these criticisms, but still find them less than satisfying because at the end of the day, no matter how much withering criticism she faces, Cannon still gets to put on the black robe and run interference for her benefactor. She will get a standing ovation at some future Federalist Society gathering. But it's not just canon, they note. Many smart lawyers also noted that the Justice Department now faces the unenviable task of having to appeal this decision up to higher courts that are also now filled with Trump appointees. For all we know, the Trump-stacked 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals or five radical justices on the Supreme Court, I would say there's six, but maybe that's just me, uh, they may all greet her outrageous decision with a standing ovation as well. So, write Lithwick and Stern, the problem is not just the extreme and heinous flaws in Cannon's ruling, it's also the Trump-shaped world in which Cannon operates with impunity, which we all have to endure for the foreseeable future. It's the brutal reality that we may face a steady stream of depraved decisions like Cannon's for the rest of our lives and the pain of hearing from every quarter that, well, nothing can be done to remedy it. We watched the same pattern play out at the end of this last Supreme Court term, they write. One case after another blew up decades of existing precedent and tests and doctrine and replaced them with Rorschach exams that, trans uh, that transformed contemporary Republican policies into constitutional law. Smart lawyers dutifully digested these opinions and set to work trying to figure out how the EPA or public school districts or state legislatures that want to stop mass shootings can plausibly work around these new tests. And, of course, were we living in a rational regime in which the rule of law governed, that would make perfect sense. But... If the last term at the Supreme Court and indeed Cannon's baffling new order mean anything, they signify that in this new age of legal Calvin ball, a reference that Calvin and Hobbes fans will recognize well, one side now invents new so-called rules and then the other scrambles to try to play by them. For every single legal thinker, thinker who reads the Mar-a-Lago order to mean quite correctly that ex-presidents are above the law, furrowing your brow and pointing out its grievous errors only takes you halfway there. The better question is what, if anything, do you propose to do about it? The furrowing is cathartic, but it's also not a plan, they write. No, it is not. But here, with a plan, maybe... We'll see. 
is, of course, our friend Dahlia Lithwick, longtime senior legal correspondent at Slate and analyst at MSNBC, host of Amicus, Slate's award-winning podcast on the law, and now the author of the brand new, not even out yet, but on sale right now book, Lady Justice, Women, the Law, and the Battle to Save America, which we will uh, talk about as well. Dahlia Lithwick, we got a lot to discuss for a change today. Welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you so much for having me back, Brad. Uh, before we get to your plan for what can be done above and beyond the Calvin ball and, you know, trying to outlawyer irreparably bad legal opinions from these, you know, either wildly inept or wildly corrupt McConnell Trump Federalist Society judges, I want to get your quick thoughts on the DOJ filing on Thursday, which, uh, you know, after a week of uh, folks in the legal community offering opinions of how the DOJ ought to proceed, it's sort of a hybrid compromise, it seems to me. I don't know if anyone in the legal commentariat uh, on TV or on Twitter uh, actually offered this. Is, is this the right move for DOJ here? What are they hoping to do? And will this uh, Trump judge actually agree to it as you see it? Well, I mean, I think you characterized this exactly correctly, which is there were no good options. Uh, the reason it's taken a week, the reason, you know, we still don't quite know, uh, we know an appeal is coming, but we don't quite know what it's going to be, is that they had no good choices. They could, you know, file an appeal mm -hmm. and lose at the 11th Circuit or lose again at the Supreme Court, all of which would be terrible. Or they could accede to this preposterous arrangement where a special master could take months or years <laughs> to determine mm -hmm. uh, what documents could be seen and used while, in fact, I think you made this point, but let's say it really explicitly, the clock is literally ticking on a national security emergency mm -hmm. and every single day is precious. So there was no great choice. They couldn't sit around and let this play out. Uh, the purpose of this is to delay, which, by the way, is a classic Trump lawyer tactic, mm -hmm. right? You just mm -hmm. drag it out until it's immaterial, until Congress flips until whatever happens that <laughs> shuffles the rules. But they couldn't uh, do a kind of in-your-face aggressive appeal. And so I think what they did uh, in this request for a stay was essentially call Judge Cannon's bluff. And in a whole bunch of ways that you laid out, they said, look, we're going to limit it to these hundred documents. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to e explain to you the stuff you don't understand about how you cannot silo off the criminal investigation from the national security investigation because that's not how this works. Mm -hmm. So help us understand how you can greenlight the latter while stymieing the former. And by the way, this is explained in scrupulous detail. I mean, in some ways, I don't think this was for Judge Cannon as much as it was to clarify to us mm -hmm. just how completely on a collision course with itself her initial order was. Mm -hmm. And I think they've given her an off-ramp. I, mean, I think they've given yeah. her a way to cabin the insanity of what she's done mm -hmm. and at minimum uh, not be humiliated by one assumes a reviewing court that while they may be heavy on the Trump judges, isn't actually eager to expose, you know, uh, sources and methods and nuclear secrets to, uh, you know, the highest bidder. I don't know. Maybe that's uh, yeah. a bad bet. Maybe that those Trump judges are as psyched about it as she is. But I think this is a plausible compromise that lets her save face. And well, and I, I think you're right. We'll see if she takes that offer, essentially, that they're giving her. But, you know, 
as you know, we don't know what the 11th Circuit will do. I think it's a majority. I think it's six to four uh, Republicans or maybe even Trump appointees uh, on the majority there. You know, some years ago, I think it was after uh, then President Trump had complained about a, uh, a, quote, Obama judge or some such, Chief Justice John Roberts, in a rare public statement on this sort of thing, said that there are no Obama judges, there's no Trump judges, there are only American judges or something like that. And I think we would all love to believe that that was true. But evidence, at least in this case, and frankly, uh, a few too many others of late, Dahlia, certainly suggest otherwise. Was Chief Justice John Roberts simply wrong about that at this point? It's such a good question. I've been thinking about it a lot uh, because yesterday we had a judge who wasn't a, a, judge, a Trump judge uh, impose a just shocking order in a case that had to do with religious liberty mm-hmm. and PrEP uh, drugs that are uh, would inhibit HIV. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a Trump judge. Mm. And so... I think one of the things, and and Mark Stern said this actually on my podcast when we were taping Mm -hmm. this week, is that I think that there's two things going on. Stipulated. I agree that Trump judges, and Judge Cannon, by the way, is just a textbook version of somebody who was appointed before she was 40. She had nothing on her resume that would have indicated she was appropriate to be uh, in a lifetime Article Three appointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just nothing distinguished in her career other than being a Federalist Society loyalist and somebody willing to carry water. And also, I think I saw yesterday on Twitter, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody actually said the only piece of writing that she had to show as an interview she'd done with the press was for her wedding announcement. I mean, this is just somebody with a paper-thin uh, uh, resume yes. in order to get on the bench. Yep. So that's that's part of the problem, is that Trump judges are younger, they're more radical, and uh, they're certainly less bound by the norms and conventions of what judges do. But I want to loop back to Clarence Thomas for mm-hmm. a second. Sure. Because he's not a Trump judge. And Sam Alito mm-hmm. is not a Trump judge. Mm-hmm. And I think that the other piece of this that we have to watch is that as judges, particularly really hard right conservative judges, feel emboldened to do completely bonkers things that are in no way lawless, mm-hmm. it's kind of contagious. And so I think what's happened isn't that the Trump judges are somehow different from, you know, the W judges or the Reagan judges. I think that the judges who were always radical, and I do put Clarence Thomas in this category, I do put Sam Alito in this category, I think they are emboldened now to be their most radical selves because they know they're uncheckable because – Who's going to stop them? And so the the line of demarcation for me is no longer just Trump judges, although I think that's diagnostically correct. I think the lar- line of demarcation is judges who are willing to be utterly lawless, some of whom have been on the bench for decades. And and you're right. And you make an excellent point. It's not just uh, Trump judges, but it is. Well, all of this sort of gets us to your piece at, at Slate with uh, uh, Mark Joseph Stern uh, headlined, The Solution to the Trump Judge Problem Nobody Wants to Talk About. Because, frankly, I want to talk about it. In fact, we have been talking about it on the show in recent weeks and months, you know, but I don't want to guess your uh, your position. So I'll ask you and Mark Wright, quote, if there were a principle that best embodies why progressives are losing ground so quickly, even as they are correct on the facts and the law and the zeitgeist, 
it must be this tendency to just keep on lawyering the other side's bad law in the hopes that the lawyering itself will make all the bad faith and crooked law go away. But for those who are genuinely worried that democracy will rise or fall based on whether a case lands before their judges or others, merely explaining legal flaws in pointillist detail is not an answer. So if opining and bringing legal motions in hopes of working around bad and and what I will call corrupt uh, rulings, Dahlia, by bad and what I will call corrupt judges, if that is not the answer, what is the answer? I mean, the answer is exactly what you've been talking about on your show long before I rolled up, which is structural reform. And I think that we can sit here and argue all day and all night about whether maybe, maybe this kind of Hail Mary work the refs approach with Judge Cannon is going to eventually allow the Justice Department to restart an urgently important, I would say the most urgently important criminal investigation against a president one could imagine. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't change the fact that there's another Judge Cannon out there. And as you said at the top, there's probably five of them on the 11th Circuit. And so lawyering this isn't enough. This is a problem that needs to be resolved with big swing structural reform. And you're absolutely right. Nobody wants to say the words court packing. Nobody wants to say the words jurisdiction stripping. Nobody even wants to do the thing that Mark and I propose as just an easy swing in the piece, which is just adding seats to the lower federal courts. Mm -hmm. It's long over time. The federal judiciary has been expanded multiple, multiple times. Uh, The um, uh, Judicial College is literally the just, I'm sorry, the Judicial Conference, Mm -hmm. which is the sort of nonpartisan government body that does the policy for the courts is begging Congress for more seats. We need more judges. And somehow it's anathema to even contemplate it. So I think the big problem goes back to that Biden commission. Do you remember a year yes, ago? Yes. That was going to propose all these ideas and we were going to bandy them about and the world was going to come together and hold hands and say, we need structural reform. Well, nothing happened and nothing is happening now. And, you know, I, th- I think this is where uh, you and Mark hit on something here, because we have been talking about this. We spoke with uh, Congressman Hank Johnson last month, a uh, Democrat from Georgia. He's chair of the U.S. House Judiciary Subcommittee on the Courts. He has been calling on taking back the courts. He has not been afraid to call them stolen and packed and so forth. And so, you know, his committee is in a place to do something about it. And he has, in fact, proposed legislation for that. But at the same time, uh, you know, you, you refer to President Biden's, you know, Blue Ribbon Commission, which is sort of where, you know, good ideas go to die to these commissions. What's missing, it seems to me, other than the president coming out and saying we need to do this, is the legal community itself coming out. And and I think you guys are that's sort of who I think you're talking about. You know, when the when the uh, canons ruling came out on Monday, I saw a lot of people get outraged about it. I was outraged about it. it was a terrible decision. But I feel like, you know, we go from zero to 11 on the outrage scale on these things without stopping to say, what do we do about them? What is the solution here? And I think you're right. uh, There's not really a legal solution. It's a structural solution. 
That's absolutely correct. It's been correct, by the way, for years. I mm-hmm. mean, long before the Dobbs decision in Bruin, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people were saying uh, if Donald Trump can, in fact, reshape one third of the U.S. Supreme Court um, and lose the popular vote, if, in fact, five of the six conservatives on the Supreme Court were seated by justices who lost the popular vote and approved by a Senate that represents 41 million fewer people on one side Mm -hmm. than that. Like, this is all so, so wonky. And it needs to be corrected. It needs to be, you know, this goes to the Electoral College. It goes to gerrymandering, right? You've got an entire system that is working hand in glove with the judiciary uh, to limit rights, to make it harder to vote, which is the most hilarious piece of this, but also just to create a juristocracy. This, you know, Article Three judges Mm -hmm. who look around and say, I think I'm going to just enjoin all of Obamacare. I think I'm just going to stop the vaccine mandate. I think I'm just going to take over immigration uh, law here from my perch as a single district judge and renegotiate the Remain in Mexico policy. And there's no structural fix to that. I mean, there just isn't. What Mm -hmm. we need to do is a talk very meaningfully about how we get out from under the kind of thumb of a judiciary that apparently cannot be checked. But then more urgently, there are really things you can do about, you know, I I was on my show today, Norm Mm -hmm. Ornstein was saying, Mm -hmm. there are serious jurisdictional questions that can really be raised by Congress when Judge Cannon takes away a case that is already in front of a magistrate judge and that should properly be in front of a judge in D.C. And she just takes it mm -hmm. and nobody says anything? Why not? Because Congress has not kind of re-up this conversation about jurisdiction. So this stuff is boring and technical, but oh my God, it's everything. Well, but let me uh, let me take the onus off Congress for just a second. You referred to the juristocracy. Let me talk about the punditocracy, which I know, by the way, both you and I are a part of. Uh, you sort of more than I in that, uh, you know, the legal commentariat. There is there's a huge class, you know, we call them legal Twitter and, you know, they show up on all of the shows and so forth. And they talk about these cases all the time. And it's critical that they explain them to the American people. But it seems to me, well, you you folks, Dahlia, are really sort of in the best place in one sense to band together and say, look, we can keep coming on these shows and explaining and on Twitter and explaining these cases. But the system is broken. Here are the uh, the, the, the proposals that we're putting forward to change that. Maybe that will move Congress and move the president of the United States to actually take some action here because they ain't even talking about it at all when they're talking, you know, they're talking about uh, Roe maybe reforming the uh, filibuster to to overturn or to, you know, codify Roe into federal law. But I don't hear them talking about expanding the Supreme Court. That seems like it's got to be, you know, pretty much issue, if not number one, then issue number two. I, I, I don't in any way disagree with you. And I also cop to the fact that, you know, and I say this as somebody who's an MSNBC contributor, mm-hmm. it's fun to go on a show and litigate the merits, right? And the wins and the losses. Right. And to act as though this is really a legal decision that Judge Cannon put forth rather than like kind of a hairball she put, you know, mm-hmm. out there to protect Donald Trump that inherently is so flawed that, you know, th- there's almost no point debating the merits, which is, I think, mm-hmm. what prompted this piece. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. I think 
that, you know, we live in a world where so much punditry is sort of styled as entertainment and a little bit of performance of look how smart I am. And so then you do fall into this trap of let me tell you the 127 reasons why this order is dumb as opposed to let me tell you the one thing that we could do tomorrow if we wanted to fix the courts. So I agree that's just a media problem. But I think there's another thing going on here and it kind of goes to your very first question about the Justice Department and how it is trying to thread the needle in mm-hmm. this case, which is people operate within this system, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. they have to go litigate in this system. They have to go, a lot of those pundits that you see on TV, like write amicus briefs, briefs at the Supreme Court, and they go argue uh, mm-hmm. in the federal appeals courts. So who wants to be on the record saying, burn it all down and start again? <laughs> or, you know, let's add six justices to the court and then we can have a conversation. Nobody wants to be on the record no, doing but, that because in some sense they have a dog in this fight. Well, no, nobody wants to but if you all do it together I, you know if there's a the, the great association of uh tv legal pundits uh, you know put out a statement calling for this reform if everyone signs on to it i know it's hard to get uh you know more than uh, two or three lawyers to agree on anything but you know you guys write you and mark right at the end uh, there are too many things wrong with the canon order to litigate there are too many things wrong with trump's judicial dominion of every part of our lives for years to come to litigate so maybe it's time to stop litigating them and start fixing them so just throwing your words back at you Dahlia because I think you're I think you're right I I take it I I absolutely take it and I I just would point out one other thing yeah fascinatingly after that blue ribbon commission on court reform issued its final report you remember this a whole bunch of the commissioners some of whom held their noses and got on that commission and said I will do this because it's important to reform from the inside and Mm -hmm. you know we need to be in conversations and it has to have the imprimatur of bipartisanship but people like Professor Larry Tribe, like Nancy Gertner, Judge Gertner, uh, Sherilyn Eiffel, as soon as that report came out, they did essentially what you're describing. Mm -hmm. They said... Holy cow! The house is on fire. Like, yeah. What are we doing? This this is a milk toast, anodyne uh, a set of recommendations. So I think there's a model for it, even for people who work within the system. And I know it doesn't sound radical to hear that Larry Tribe and Nancy Gertner and Sherilyn Eiffel and others mm-hmm. kind of peeled off afterwards and wrote a coda to that report that was like, no, <laughs> this is all wrong. But I do think you're right that it requires the people who are functioning on the inside with the constraints. But also the privileges of being inside to really, really pull the alarm when it's clear that the system is just irreparably broken. Right. I really think so. And I think you guys uh, are getting at that uh, in your piece at Slate. Dahlia, uh, before we let you go, uh, let's move to something a little bit brighter uh, uh, for the moment. Your new book, Lady Justice, Women, the Law and the Battle to Save America. It is not out just yet, but it's published on September 20, I believe it will be. uh, But it is available for pre sale right now. Uh, Your press office, I haven't read it yet, but uh, your press office describes the book as the gripping and heroic story of women lawyers who fought the racism, sexism, and xenophobia of Donald Trump's presidency and won. Well, among other things, I am curious, Dahlia Lithwick, A, how did, in, 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 in what way did they win, as you see it, and B, uh, the subtitle, Women, the Law, and the Battle to Save America, did that title come before or after the Dobbs decision by our corrupted, stolen, and packed U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe in uh, June? 
I mean, in all candor, this book was done and dusted uh, when Dobbs came down, and I actually had to frantically, inside of a week, uh, rewrite the introduction and the abortion chapter and the conclusion uh, (laughs) to get it to align with the horror of Dobbs. And that was, by the way, even having seen the leaked opinion in May. So Mm -hmm. uh, that subtitle certainly came uh, at least a year before. But I think maybe the thing that knits together these stories of just extraordinary women lawyers, you know, Robbie Kaplan, who uh, filed suit and won against the white supremacists and Nazis who marched in Charlottesville, uh, Becca Heller, who fought uh, the Muslim ban, the immigration ban, uh, all of these women, what knits them together, I guess, and kind of the arc of the story, you know, starting from Sally Yates, who refused to implement that ban, and ending up uh, in Georgia uh, with Stacey Abrams, who mm-hmm. managed to create this phenomenal phenomenal juggernaut of voters and voter people who registered voters mm-hmm. who, you know, let's stop and take a moment of silence because if we had not flipped the Senate in 2020, we would be living in a completely different world right now. Yes. And I guess the point is this is hard freaking work. <laughs> it's systems work. That's why we end on voting rights. It's just not winning lawsuits. It's so much bigger than that. It's fixing gerrymandering. It's fixing vote suppression. But it's doable. And every one of these lawyers faced unbelievable odds and did it anyway. And we won, right? We batted away the worst of it. And we can still win. And I know it's grim looking, you know, down the barrel of what both what happened in Dobbs and in Bruin and all the other cases that came down and grim looking at you know, election denialism and vote suppression and really scary cases, you know, like the independent state legislature doctrine. It all feels really grim. But to me, I think women changed the world in the Trump era, and I think they could do it again. And I'm going to uh, sort of ignore Judge Eileen Cannon uh, when it comes to uh, women and Sidney Powell when it comes to these women. But uh, And Amy Coney Barrett. There you go, Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, But it's described as a hopeful and inspiring book for readers desperately in need of heroes. Uh, And we certainly are at this point. I'm curious why, uh, and I'm not challenging here, I'm just curious why you focus specifically on women. Is it because many of them acted more heroically than, say, men uh, or during the Trump years or because the women who did lead the fight on this legal front did not otherwise sort of receive the proper recognition for having done so, as you see it? It's a great question. And um, I should be super clear for listeners who are not holding the book in their hands as yet that the book is pink quite deliberately. Um, It has the cover is pink. And so uh, it is unabashedly uh, about the special relationship that I think women have with the law. Uh, The book starts, in some sense, with the Trump rallies where people were shouting, lock her up, you know, wanting to weaponize the criminal justice system to incarcerate Hillary Clinton without charges or hearings, right? And Mm. lock her up expands on into what how they start talking about AOC, how they talk about uh, Christine Blasey Ford. And the book ends with Dobbs, where women are quite literally, you know, you know this as well as I do, in Atlanta this week being held in prison. Uh, so that they do not uh, endanger their pregnancies uh, by using drugs, women are being jailed and incarcerated because of miscarriages and because of uh, fetal harm. 
So the arc of that, I think, has been acutely painful for women. And it's not that this hasn't affected men. And I wouldn't suppose for one second uh, suggest that that men are not both heroes throughout the last years and also, I think, uh, amazing allies. But I think this last six years has landed really hard on women who came up thinking that the law gave them dignity and equality and find themselves suddenly in September Mm -hmm. of 2022 thinking the law is coming for them. That's really a chilling knife edge to walk along, and it's one of the things I think that women feel in their bones. If you read just one book about the real and continuing fight to save this country from the unprecedented threat, uh, frankly, to our core democratic foundations set on fire by Donald Trump and his minions, you are unlikely to go wrong reading Dahlia Lithwick. Lady Justice publishes on September 20 by Random House's Penguin Press. It's on sale now, right now, wherever you can still buy books in this country. And I should just add, Dahlia, as I was talking to you, uh, breaking from NBC News, Vice President Kamala Harris calls the Supreme Court an activist court saying the U.S. is, quote, suffering post-Roe. So maybe someone's hearing the message. we got to start calling these folks out. Activist is a good start. Now we can get to stolen, corrupt, and uh, take your pick. But let's continue making noise. Thank you for doing that every day over at Slate.com. Thank you so much for having me on. You can find her work, as I said, at Slate.com. You can find her on the Twitters at Dahlia Lithwick. She is the senior legal correspondent at Slate, an analyst on MSNBC, and host of Amicus, her own podcast, which award-winning podcast, which you should download and listen to right away as soon as the broadcast is over. Thank you, Dahlia. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> Okay, uh, she's wow. great. She is, she is, and I'm glad that she wrote this book, and I cannot believe that we still have to fight for this stuff. You you, you women, you mean? Yes. All right. Well, well everybody good, fighting, but good yes. Good luck with your, uh, with your lady fights. I know. Please yeah. vote, everybody, and yes. help everybody you know to vote. Please I do. Would, I'd like to be done with this part of that. Oh, man. Yeah, remember that protest sign? I can't believe we're still protesting this. Stuff. Stuff <laughs> after all of these years. Yes. Indeed. By the way, uh, I was sort of serious. I hope I didn't you know, pick on uh, TV pundits too hard there. But really, there are so many of these legal experts that show up on all the cable channels. If they all came on there and said, look, we've got to reform the system. We've got to expand the Supreme Court. We've got to expand the, uh, the, federal, the federal judiciary, the lower courts, Correct. like Dahlia recommended. Right. Um, the, you know, that might put light the fire under Joe Biden and the Democrats to get this done. Because, boy, uh, if it doesn't get down done now, um, I fear for the years ahead. Which I already do anyway. Anyway, (laughs) got to get out. Thanks again to Dahlia. Thanks to uh, my producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always an honor. It's always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Everything we do on this uh, this show is thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. I'm on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. And I will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.